Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome, everyone, to the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Trainer. Thanks so much for joining me. We're going to have two uh, totally different interviews on this edition. We start things off with Mike Mulvihill of Fox Sports. He's a VP there and deals with um, rating strategy, and he's all things ratings. And with Fox having the NFL, college football, and WWE now, and they're all doing big ratings, we talked to Mike about what's going on there, why the NFL has bounced back, reasons for NFL pregame shows bouncing back, what the expectations are for SmackDown. Uh, so it's a, if you're into sports media minutia, it's a really good interview. He, he breaks down a lot of interesting things. And then following Mike, we have Conrad Thompson, who hosts five, five wrestling podcasts. And uh, we talked to him about his podcast gigs, and then we get into uh, talking about some things that are going on in wrestling right now with the Wednesday Night Wars, AEW, and NXT, SmackDown going to Fox, and the week that the WWE had with some controversies there on some of their shows. So a lot of media ratings, NFL, college football stuff at the beginning, wrestling at the end. Hopefully you enjoy it, and we get things started right now with Mike Mulvihill from Fox Sports. All right, joining me now is someone I've wanted to have on for a while, and this is the perfect time for it. He's Fox Sports Executive Vice President and Head of Strategy, Mike Mulvihill. And uh, if you follow him on Twitter, which I do, and you should, you know he's sort of like the guru of ratings for everything. So with so much going on, I wanted to chat with him about the ratings for everything sort of being up, it seems like, this day, this day, these days, which makes him very happy. Mike, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Jimmy, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the invite. So... Just give my listeners a little, before we get into it, uh, 
exactly what you do, how you and and the day to day sort of. I, I I said you're the ratings guru, which if you follow, if you get followed on Twitter, you sort of that's your main thing. But what exactly is the job role for you at Fox Sports? So the job really is to analyze every data source that's available to us to try to understand uh, what sports fans are consuming and how they're consuming it uh, and what's working and not working on our, our, our broadcast air and our various platforms. And so primarily, you know, the number one data source that I'm using every day uh, are obviously the Nielsen ratings. They're the currency of our business. Uh, and they have been for over 50 years, and I feel like they're still the most um, insightful source into um, how we can be a, a smarter company and just run our business more effectively. But it also sometimes means um, focus groups and going out and talking to consumers face-to-face and using any other data source that, that we can come up with just to try to glean insights into you know, the state of the sports fan in 2019 and just try to be as smart as we can. And then we take those insights uh, and use them to program our properties. You know, I sit down with a small group every week and do our NFL maps, um, do our regionalizations where we assign a game to every market. And there's a lot of, of research and strategic thinking that goes into that. Uh, I have a collegiate group that reports into me and, and we deal with the, um, the college football game selections and where those games will be placed on either FBC or FS1. And then there's a separate department um, that's not under my oversight that deals with the 24-hour schedule of Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2. We work together very closely. We, you know, we try to just keep each other as informed as possible. Um, but that's a, that's a little bit of a separate group. So it's really just you know, using data as efficiently as possible and trying to um, convert that into football and baseball schedules that maximize our viewership. And, and as part of your gig, sort of analyzing and knowing the ratings and analyzing the ratings of your competitors as well. I mean, you, I would assume you know all the stuff that's going on with you know ESPN, CBS with with their games as well. Yeah, you try to understand what's happening uh, among your competitive set and also try to understand what's happening that affects our business uh, outside of sports content. You know, obviously things that are happening um, in the news cycle affect sports viewership. Trends in entertainment usage can affect sports viewership. So, you know, you're really trying to understand um, as much as you can across all of television and, and all of media. And, and before we get into it with the ratings for NFL and, and college football and WWE, one last thing you mentioned the Nielsen ratings for a layman or someone just not intelligent like myself. I know they've changed things because now they're doing a at a home. How would you explain where we're at, how the ratings are done now today and what the change was and how Nielsen is doing it? Yeah, it's a complicated subject, and I hope I can explain it in a clear and succinct way. But as I say, the ratings have been the currency of our business for decades. Uh, And traditionally, the way that they're calculated is that Nielsen comes into your home if you're part of the sample, and they install a meter, they connect it to your television, and then every time that you sit down to watch programming, you or any other member of your family logs into that device, and Nielsen is able to track uh, the viewing on your in-home set. Well, that obviously leaves a lot unmeasured. You know, we are in a culture now where we're surrounded by screens every day. A lot of us are walking around with a screen in our pocket every waking hour. Uh, and so if Nielsen is only measuring the in-home consumption on a traditional TV set, that leaves a lot out. You know, that leaves out the viewing that you do in airports and hotels and in bars and restaurants and 50 other places that we could name. So they've been working really hard to their credit uh, to come up with a method to capture viewing outside of the home. 
home. Uh, and what they've come up with is a, a method that's really similar to the way that they measure radio, um, where they ask people to walk around with a, a little device about the size of a, of a pager, for those of us who are old enough to remember pagers. Um, and that device picks up the audio from any content that you're exposed to, and there's an encoding in the audio signal that allows them to uh, track what you are watching. So if you're in a restaurant and you're watching Fox NFL and the volume is turned up, this device picks it up even though you're outside of your home. So that's a really a, um, a transformational step forward in terms of their ability to measure the audience. And what they rolled out recently was out-of-home viewing in the local market. So if you're looking just at ratings in New York City, uh, those ratings as of a week ago now include all the viewing that happens outside the home. For our national ratings, uh, they're not fully included yet. We expect them to be in by next year's football season. So we're sort of using the local ratings um, as an indicator and as a foreshadowing of what kind of impact we'll see when it does get rolled into the national. Uh, and it's going to be a really sizable impact. Like if you look at the uh, Thursday night football game that we did last week, the um, Ram Seahawks game, you know, in the major markets, we believe that the out of home viewing added almost 20% to the audience in those cities. Wow. The NFL marketplace nationally is a multi billion dollar a year advertising market. And if we can um, measure 20% or close to that, more viewing just by a change in the way that Nielsen calculates the numbers, I mean, that's an enormous impact. So, you know, we feel like it's a really um, significant development for us to look forward to. I hope that makes some sense. It does. I mean, it's, I mean, the way the ratings are done are still, it seems, you know, in 2019, there's got to be a better system. That's a whole other conversation. Um, you mentioned the Thursday night game. It's NFL ratings seem to be up significantly across the board. I know, especially for Fox, Thursday night and Sundays have been up. Um, I know CBS is up. I'm not sure about Monday night football. I should, I should be on top of that. Um, but the NFL has really come back strong this year. Uh, any reasons why you think that is off the top of your head? Yeah, I think there are a couple. Um, and we can talk about on-the-field reasons and also talk about off-the-field reasons, right? The on-the-field reasons are that, you know, the trend that we saw last year towards greater offensive efficiency um, has continued. And it doesn't mean that every statistic is necessarily up, but pretty much every major measure of offensive efficiency is tracking either at a record high or near a record high. So that would be passing yards per game, rushing yards per game, points per game. Um, I think all of that contributes to just a more entertaining product. And we saw a real uptick in all of those statistics last year. I think for most of last season, we were kind of talking about it as a, a year of the quarterback. Um, and that's continued to be the case this year. I think we do have an infusion of really interesting, watchable young talent at the quarterback position. It's probably the most significant position in all of sports in terms of driving uh, viewer interest in a team sport. And we have this generation of quarterbacks now, which I, you probably would start that conversation with Mahomes and then talk about Goff and Wentz and, you know, probably name 10 guys who are under age 26 that are having a, a significant impact at that position. And I think that helps a lot. And then I think in most cases, the brands that are the greatest drivers of ratings are having a lot of success. Um, you know, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and obviously the, the Steelers are traditionally a powerful brand, and their their season has gone sideways uh, a little I, bit I, with I the Roethlisberger say, injury. Yeah, I was going to say the New York market ain't helping you this year. 
<laughs> but you know, if you look at other brands that really drive ratings, which we'd be talking about Dallas, Green Bay, right. uh, New England, you know, you could probably put the Saints in there at this point. They've been good enough and entertaining enough for so long that they're they're a driver of national interest. Um, the brands that we really rely on are winning games and they're in division races and it seems like they're going to be in division races throughout the season. So that's probably the most significant um, contributor. And then if you look at off the field factors, you know, two seasons ago, three seasons ago, we were just spending a lot of time talking about comments that the president was making about NFL players. We were talking about the Colin Kaepernick situation. We spent a lot of time talking about um, CTE, which is a really important issue and, and should be talked about. But it just seemed like a lot of the conversation around football in 2016 and 2017 was not about the game between the lines. Right. And more recently, partly because of that young generation of players we just talked about, the conversation really has focused on the field. And we're, we're talking more about the game and less about issues outside of the game. And I really feel that the more you're talking about the game itself, the more you're winning. And when the conversation is outside the lines, you're probably losing. Um, so I think that the focus has been more where we want it to be. Yeah, I think one of the things that that has not been talked about enough over the in 2016 and 2017, when you were talking about the dip in the ratings, was that the benefit from that was cable news. Cable news had these unbelievable gains in in 2016, 2017. And I'm sort of of the belief, um, I said this to someone recently, I think what's helped the NFL is people are so numb to the White House because it's every day, multiple times a day, nothing surprising. Everyone sort of knows how the White House reacts to new news and new controversy that I think the impetus to check in on cable news, to it, it's gone now because it's just so relentless. And I think the NFL has benefited from that. What do we know? Cable news in 2019, have they taken a dip from 1617? How what has it? What's that factor like in there? Yeah, at least on Sunday afternoons, which would be the day part most relevant to me personally, they have taken a dip. And I think what you're describing is exactly what's happened. I mean, I, my opinion was that um, in 2016, the campaign and the election sucked up an enormous amount of oxygen. Right. And the result of the election was so shocking and so surprising to most observers that we really stayed in the election cycle for at least an entire year um, after the election and the inauguration. And I agree that more recently, there's been a certain normalizing um, of the news cycle. I don't think people react to it with the kind of surprise or interest that they did two years ago. And I guess, you know, people smarter than me can debate whether or not that's a good thing for the country that we've normalized um, the news cycle and the statements that are coming, you know, from the White House. But I, I think just as a, a statistical fact, um, what we're seeing is less uh, migration from sports to cable news because people have become accustomed to um, the speed and the intensity of the news cycle. And as they become accustomed to it, I think some of those eyeballs have come back to, to our content. And what about, you know, the, the gambling factor gets discussed a lot. And I think another thing that's sort of maybe lost in the shuffle, I think there's only, I, I should know this, and I, I it's either 11 or 12 states where gambling is legalized now i think that's a little overrated in that you can gamble anywhere you are I, i've been able to play sports bets successfully for 20 years so it's not like um it's only benefiting the people in those 11 or 12 states but 
I, I did see something earlier this year where the states that have the legalized gambling or the cities uh, have had big bumps in ratings. It, it, what is the how does the gambling legalized sports betting uh, trend fit into the ratings from your standpoint? So I, obviously we're monitoring it, and I think that if we were to make a list of 10 or 15 factors that might be impacting viewership, it would be on the list, uh, but I don't think it would be near the top of the list. I think it's a little early in the development of legal gambling um, for it to really drive engagement to the level that we expect it ultimately will. You know, you're right that only a dozen or a little bit fewer states have some form of legal sports betting, and even fewer allow for statewide betting via your mobile device, which I think ultimately is what's really going to open up the marketplace and drive interest. You know, our expectation is that in a five-year window, seven-year window, we might have legal gaming in 30-ish states covering maybe two-thirds of the country. And when that happens, I think you will start to see uh, gambling drive viewership in ways that will show up in, you know, the frequency with which viewers tune in or the amount of time that they spend watching per game. And those are all things that we can track. just seems like right now in this first year of emerging legalization, it's probably too soon to expect to see any impact nationally. We do track, um, well, we track every major market, but we do look with particular interest at Pittsburgh and Philly uh, because because you have statewide mobile gaming legal in Pennsylvania. But I think that you know, in the case of a market like Pittsburgh, the factors driving viewership are going to have so much more to do with just the wins and losses on the field and the fact that Roethlisberger has had a, a serious injury and it's hard to really tease out what the gambling impact is separate from that. So I yeah. kind of feel like it, we're in early stages, um, but I think we have every expectation that in a five-year window or you know whatever you would think of as kind of the intermediate term, um, we are ultimately going to start to see a, a serious impact to TV viewing. It's in, what I find even more interesting than the than the NFL game ratings, which I always expected to sort of bounce back after the controversies in 2016, 2017. Um, I find the the ratings jump that the pregame shows have made for all. I, now I know all three of the all three networks are up. Uh, Fox, CBS, ESPN on their pregame show ratings. And the pregame show, I mean, this is going to sound strong, and I, you probably don't want to hear this as an EVP of Fox, but like people sort of thought the pregame show was dead in a way or, or a relic um, just because of the way we consume content now. But they've bounced back. What do you attribute that to? Well, I, I think they've come back, at least in our case, they've come back in correlation with the game rating, right? So our game viewership is eight is up 8%. Our pregame viewership is also up 8%. So you would sort of expect that whatever trend you see in the games, you're probably going to see something close to it for the pregame. And I think that just the way the schedule has laid out this year, um, both we and CBS have had pretty good 1 p.m. games. And so if you have something watchable at 1 p.m., it just incentivizes the viewer to get there a little bit earlier, and that gooses the pregame rating. You know, we had, um, in week two, we had Dallas-Washington, 
which, you know, that probably sounded better then than it does now. Like Washington <laughs> had, you know, right. already gone to 0-5 by that time. But we had Dallas-Washington, which is a pretty good 1 o'clock game. Mini-Green Bay, which is a terrific 1 o'clock game. Uh, and Seattle-Pittsburgh, which was that was before the Roethlisberger injury. That's a heck of a 1 o'clock window. And right. I think when you have those kind of games early in the day, it's going to help the pregame. Um, CBS, on some of their weeks, have had uh, Kansas City-Baltimore. Um, they had a really good Buffalo New England game, so I think there there just have been matchups at one o'clock uh, that have helped drive some of that pregame viewership. Interesting. All right, let's go to college football because big year for Fox. They launched their new pregame show, and then um, they're doing games at noon now every week, where that's where they're putting their best game of the week. I know you've been very happy with the ratings for the noon game. What? what's your feeling for the pregame show? Obviously, listen, go college game day is what college game day is. I don't know. I don't think your expectations were to come out of the gate, obviously. And Peter, are you happy with the number of the pregame show? Um, where are you at with, with that? Yeah, so I, I would broaden that out a little bit and tell you that we're looking at college football in terms of both the pregame show and the viewership that we can do for that game at noon. Like, we really just consider them uh, two parts of the same strategy. Um, very satisfied with both the numbers for both the pregame and the noon game in a year where college football as a whole across all networks has been basically flat. Um, We've been able to take a pretty significant step forward, uh, both at noon and overall. I think we're now up, you know, close to 20% for college football for the year. We're up by, should be more than that in the noon window. And the comparison is actually uh, handicapped a little bit by the fact that the Texas-Oklahoma game was a week earlier last year. So we don't yet have the benefit of the Red River game in that comparison. Once we get through this weekend coming up, our comparisons are actually going to look quite a bit better. Um, I don't know that we really had any expectation. I guess I can only speak for myself. I didn't have any expectation uh, that the show was going to damage the success that ESPN has had with Game Day. I mean, they've obviously they've obviously developed something extremely well-established in that window. We just felt like there was room for us to also come in side-by-side side, um, and establish a little bit of our own success. And our numbers are getting up now close to a million viewers a week. I think we've got matchups coming up that are of a high enough quality that we should be able to get over a million viewers a week, if not this weekend, then in the really near future. Uh, and, and I'm satisfied with that. I mean, I, I think yeah. that's a pretty good place to be. If we can if we can get to that level for the pregame and if we can feel like we're in control of the noon window and that gives us an identity in college football that I candidly think we've lacked for the last couple seasons, um, then we would consider it all a pretty good success. What, what's going on? I, I don't know if you're the right person to ask, but there were those rumblings about Pac-12 games getting that 9 a.m. start out there for noon on Fox. Is that still a possibility? Um, for this season, it is not. Okay. Uh, for next season, I wouldn't rule it out. And we're in ongoing conversations with the conference. Um, there are a couple games on next year's schedule that I think would be you know, intriguing possibilities if the schools are willing to play at 9 a.m. local time. Um, the fact that the conference expressed an interest in being part of our noon window uh, was really a pleasant surprise. And it's something that 
I take as a validation of the idea that we, you know, we must be doing something right by playing these games early in the day uh, if the Pac-12 is expressing a, a willingness to be there. So we'll keep talking about it. Um, I recognize that there are some logistical hurdles to overcome. I can't guarantee that it'll happen next year, um, but it's alive as a possibility for next season. That that will be fat. I'm just fascinated to see if anyone shows up to those games. Nine a.m. is not easy for for a college student, but we will <laughs> we stay up all night, right? Yeah. Well, that's true. I think the people who are at that game will probably be the people who don't sleep. Um, <laughs> you guys had a huge week with the debut of WWE um, Fo- SmackDown. Fox could not have done a better job promoting it, going all in on it. Um, obviously, you guys got a big rating yet to be thrilled with. Um, I would love to know how you got the Rock there which uh, he had the highest rated segment. I, I would assume that first edition of SmackDown on Fox exceeded your ratings expectations. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And I appreciate those comments about the marketing and promotional effort. I mean, it's, it's as big a push as we've put behind something uh, in quite a while. And I think we were more than happy with the, the debut numbers. And I'm sure you've seen them already. You know, we did basically 4 million viewers uh, for the premiere. We're up 85% over what the show had been doing recently uh, on USA and way up over what our network had been doing on Friday nights. So um, definitely a, a really, really positive premiere, and it, it just brings to full fruition um, a strategy that we've been talking about for over a year, which is that we really want to take ownership of this time of year. Uh, we really want to dominate fourth quarter because we believe it's where the most consumer spending is. And we want to take some ownership of the four-day weekend. You know, last year we launched Thursday Night Football. Right. Now we have WWE SmackDown. We've had a, a growing college football presence. And, of course, we've had our Sunday NFL for over 25 years. So now we really feel like we're finally in a place where we've got powerful content four days every weekend at the most valuable time uh, on the calendar uh, and it's what we've been sort of pointing to for a long time it, it's just great to finally have it be here you sort of stole my thunder well maybe you didn't with my next question because I was going to ask was there when you guys were pursuing WWE and after you sort of uh, became partners with them I was wondering if there was was there ever any talk of airing Smackdown on any day but Friday uh, look the one word answer is yes um, okay. there was discussion of a, a broad uh, number of scenarios, including different days of the week, um, the possibility of it being on cable, the possibility of it moving to broadcast, which obviously is ultimately what happened. Um, I, I wouldn't tell you that um, that there was one particular scenario that dominated conversation, uh, but I think that because we're able to now have these four days of programming, um, we were really happy uh, to to get to a place in that conversation where they were willing to put SmackDown uh, on Friday on a broadcast network. You know, you, you may know this already because I think you have followed it for a lot of years, but I think one of the interesting things about SmackDown is that it generates so much cross-generational viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at, the, and we do have these numbers, if you look at statistics of parents who are watching with a, a person under the age of 18, so you would assume that to be a parent-child relationship, um, that is about 50% more likely to happen in SmackDown than it is in primetime TV generally. Uh, and that's really valuable to us. You know, we like content that 
brings people together and brings people of different generations in the same household together. And this, maybe this is more of an answer than you want, but you know, one of the truths of TV over many years is that it's become an increasingly solitary experience. Now, when we were kids, there was generally only one TV per home and the whole family gathered around one set and watched Mm -hmm. content together. Now you have three or four TVs per home and everybody has their mobile device on top of that and it encourages TV viewing and video content viewing uh, to be more individualized. So the things that actually bring people together are increasingly rare and special and valuable. And where I'm going with that is that I think, and I think we believe as a company, that Friday night is exactly the right night to try to encourage that kind of cross-generational viewing. You know, you've got this generation of kids that they don't have school the next day, but they're also not really old enough yet to go out on a Friday night, you know, that age group from maybe 9 to 14 or however you would define that. And I feel like that's just a perfect audience to watch SmackDown on a Friday night, maybe with friends or maybe with a parent, uh, and try to use it as a vehicle to bring people together, which is where a lot of the power of, of sports content lies. Right. Um, so what, going forward, I mean, obviously you had that big rating there was so much promotion, like we said, The Rock. On average, what what are you guys looking to do with SmackDown in terms of viewership? I mean, you got the four million. I, I don't know. Do you expect it to be there every week? What what do you what would make you happy on a weekly basis for SmackDown? Yeah, I, I'm going to give you probably a more vague answer than what you want, right? Because <laughs> I don't want to put a specific number to it. But I would tell you that. I don't think there's a realistic expectation that we're going to see the number that we saw last Friday every week. You know, we know that that was a sort of an extraordinary debut and the show will now have to settle at a cruising altitude. So without putting a precise number to it, um, I think we have an opportunity to be maybe double um, what we had previously been doing on Fox on Friday nights, which was, you know, 1.2 million. Um, I'd like to think that we can be, you know, meaningfully bigger than what the show had been averaging on USA, which was more like 2.2 million. So hopefully that kind of gives you a ballpark idea of where I would expect us to be and where I'd like for us to be um, without being too precise. But I think if we can... If we can feel like six months from now that we have grown the show versus what it was doing on the previous rights holder and that we have grown our Friday night primetime and provided a better lead in for our affiliate late local news, if we can just convert on those points, we're going to be happy. Right. Well, it's it's been a really great time for you guys over there with, with the NFL, college football, and uh, WWE, everything really strong and and. Um, even Thursday night football, you know, it's, I think it took people a little while last year to, you know, it's a Fox entity now. So, um, you guys are rolling and I appreciate you coming on. I'll, I'll, I want, I, I want, I want to stay positive. So I don't even want to talk about baseball ratings because as a baseball fan, they sort of depress me too, but I'll tell you, I've never, I've never seen less sort of, I know the Rays have helped by going to two, two there with, uh, the Astros, but and the Yankees are in there, which is good, but I, I, I don't know. I feel like the juice for the baseball playoffs is, is little as i've seen so i don't know what to do there but i don't don't want you to get into the baseball ratings because let's let's focus on the on the happy ratings for nfl you know what all i would say is be patient yeah you know uh, october baseball has a way of building momentum as the series go on we're going to have three game fives over the next two days which i think will help a lot we've already got the biggest brand in baseball um through to the next round and let's just see how it comes together i mean i think by the end of the month we might have some really positive stories to tell
I hope so, because that's my team. So, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming on and, and explaining it all. I appreciate it. We'll get you back on. Um, it was it was interesting stuff there, and I learned a few things. So, thank you. Happy to do it anytime. Thanks all again. Right. Take care. All right. This episode of the SI Media Podcast is sponsored by Zoom. When you use Zoom every day is a little better. Zoom Video Communications, with the web's best-reviewed video conference service, used by millions to meet one-on-one or hundreds at a time. Zoom Video Conferencing lets you connect face-to-face with anyone across town or around the world with flawless video, clear audio, and instant sharing of files, video, anything. And you can connect through any device, desktop, laptop, tablet, smartphone, or conference room system. Zoom video conferencing, Zoom rooms, Zoom video webinars, and Zoom phone put state-of-the-art tech right at your fingertips, and it lets you do business at the speed of Zoom. Look, if you're not using Zoom video communications right now, the only question I have is why not? It'll make your day super easy for you. Visit Zoom online and set up a free account today. Try the most affordable and most reliable video communication solution on the market. Meet happy with Zoom. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to fifteen hundred dollars again sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and game sense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park that's 1-800-GAMBLER With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Oh, it's such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. All right. I don't know how he's able to join me now because he hosts about 8 million podcasts, but he has found time to squeeze me in, and I greatly appreciate it. And he is the <laughs> the wrestling podcast legend, Conrad Thompson. Conrad, how you doing? 
I'm good, man. Thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. No, my, so much wrestling stuff going on, and I know you just launched a new podcast with Arn Anderson. So, so let me I, just to give the listeners a little taste if if they're not familiar, although they should be if you're a wrestling fan. So you got the podcast with Bruce Pritchard, someone to wrestle with. You do 83 weeks still with Eric Bischoff. Grilling JR, which I've recently binged and loved to death. And now you have a new one with Arn Anderson. Is is that everything? Well, uh, yeah, it's, it's a full slate. You know, Mondays are for Eric Bischoff, Tuesdays for Arn, Wednesdays for Tony, Thursdays for JR, and Fridays for Bruce. And uh, hopefully on Saturday and Sunday, I get to take a nap, at least for now. <laughs> are you... Are you... Does it feel like a lot to you or, you know, I mean, obviously you just added the Arn Anderson podcast, so I, I assume you felt like you could handle it pretty easily. Well, I don't know if I could handle it easily. You yeah. know, Arn is easy to pin down, you know, schedule-wise, and Tony's not too bad schedule-wise. Uh, Eric and Bruce can be kind of tricky to pin down, but really, you know, JR, Arn, and Tony have a much more lax schedule because they're just flying less. They have to attend less shows and there's less travel. So their schedule is kind of flexible. And, you know, what I've been able to do is sort of stack them up. So like uh, over the weekend, I did two on Saturday and two on Sunday, and then I just had to tape one through the week. So that made it kind of easy. Uh, and as long as I can keep that uh, schedule, I, I, I think this is manageable. I think yeah. it's doable. I know, I know. You you used to. I think you started the first podcast was with Ric Flair. Um, That's right. But the one that really became just something of a whole other level was the one with Bruce. Obviously, something to wrestle with. Would that be fair to say? Oh, that would be definitely fair okay. to say. I, I, yeah, I don't think you know anybody expected that show to be the success it was least of all me right and then uh, recently when bruce went back to wwe i felt like there were some concerns about what would happen to the podcast or would bruce be sort of muzzled a little bit on the podcast but i as a listener to that podcast i haven't felt that at all um how do you feel about how bruce has done with that pod since going back to wwe and working for vince no, I mean, I think it's good. You know, I do think there is, uh, there's definitely been episodes where just the, uh, the effort required in his sort of main gig now does mean that we have to tape at odd times. You know, he and I have taped shows where we started taping at midnight and we've had other shows where we started taping at 5 a.m. So that's not ideal and you're not going to be, you know, sort of at your best either after not very much sleep or at the end of an incredibly long day. And so, you know, yeah, is, is he is his energy level a little lower than normal on some of those shows? Sure. Uh, but, you know, my, my thing is I want to be committed to cranking out new content every single week. And it's not that different than, you know, if you were a morning radio show host and sometimes you don't feel your best and you're up all night with a sick kid or you yourself were up sick or you've got a cold or whatever and, and you still go to work and try to power through. Uh, but when there's a show like Yokozuna that we had a couple of weeks ago, man, the, he was in such a great mood. It was such a fun show. We've had a few of those in a row lately where you can tell now that Bruce is relocating to Connecticut. Some of the travel schedule has slowed down. Right. But I think like a lot of our listeners may not be aware that you know, there were times where he's in a hotel five nights a week. And, you know, when you're doing that and you've got, you know, 1 a.m. conference calls with Vince McMahon, like that's a real thing. 
it's really hard to have some sort of normalcy. But now that, you know, at the end of this month, he'll be full-time in Connecticut, his schedule is going to be so much easier. And it doesn't hurt that SmackDown is now on Friday. You know, him him sort of losing Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday did make it challenging for us to record the pod. But now that he's going to be home on Tuesday, that makes things a little more manageable for us. So I appreciate the fans sticking with us, and, and I'm excited for what's coming up on the show. Do you feel like there's a shelf life for the for the podcast with Bruce? Um, it seems like it's it probably seems like it's been around longer than it has, and you've done so many episodes and covered so many topics. Um, but it's still rolling pretty good. Do you feel like though there's times where you're like, oh, I might have a trouble, I might have trouble with this or a topic here or coming up with something here? No, I don't. You know, we still have not covered, you know, Shawn Michaels, you know, biggest and best years. You know, we haven't covered The Rock's entire career. We haven't covered, we haven't really scratched the surface on much of Steve Austin. And, you know, those are some of the biggest stars in the history of the company. And we haven't really done much with it. And we haven't done a ton with John Cena. And, you know, some of the more old school iconic shows we haven't covered in long form either. Like, you know, the SummerSlam that he missed or, you know, the WrestleMania that he missed. There's so many of those big moments that are still hanging out there that we haven't touched. And and I've still kept some in my back pocket. You know, when we yeah. first started the show uh, very early on, I said, hey, well, we should do an episode on Jericho. And I thought, no, nah, we need to wait and cover that on a real historical anniversary. So even in 2016, I was sort of circling 2019 as a big Chris Jericho 20-year anniversary of his debut. So now at this point, we've covered the debut of Jericho, uh, but we and we covered it through his first world title win, but we didn't continue the story on Jericho. So we've got lots of iconic characters that we have sort of kept in our back pocket. And the other one that comes to mind right now is Eddie Guerrero. You know, we have... Uh, We've not really covered Eddie Guerrero in great detail, but unfortunately next year will be the anniversary of his passing, and and we're going to cover that. Uh, so I've got some of those that, even though they're a ways out, I know that it's something I want to cover, and I've got those dates circled. And Yokozuna you know, was such a big star, you know, headlining two WrestleManias. We made it three years before we ever got to Yokozuna. So I still think there's a lot of meat left on the bone here, so to speak. Uh, and, and after all, we've only done, we've not, not done a global show. We've only done two episodes with TNA. There's a lot left to yeah. cover that we just haven't, we just haven't made it to yet. I, I asked you this, I think on a, a podcast once before when you were kind enough to come on and I still, I would love an episode on, you know, I'm an old guy. I'm, I'm an old school ladies, WWF guy. Um, I'd love an episode on some of the announcers and, you know, Howard Finkel, Lord Alfred Hayes, um, even, you know, a Sean, Mo you know, overall announcers in WWF, I think would be great night and, and managers too, uh, Captain Lou, Fred Blassie. I, I, you, you guys really haven't, I mean, I've, you've done Heenan and you've done Mean Gene, unfortunately, cause you know, he had passed away, but I still think you got a lot of untapped potential there too, with managers, broadcasters, and sort of, uh, you know, the non-wrestlers who, who are characters in WWF. Yeah, and, you know, one of the other things that, you know, we're going to do at some point is we'll talk about the production. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about that, but, yeah. you know, the formatting of a show, the way it comes together, you know, and he's got a lot of those old formats. And, 
you know, when there's a video element we can incorporate, I think that stuff would be really fascinating, you know, to sort of have a peek at how we make the sausage, as they say. And, I, and, I, and when I started, you know, it's funny because something to wrestle with, it, it, it's famous for breaking all of the podcast rules. You guys do episodes that are two plus hours, um, and it's an investment for listeners. And someone like me, I was always, you know, when the JR one came out, for instance, I'm like, I got to avoid this because... I spend so much time consuming something to wrestle with and I have my own podcast I got to worry about. And uh, of course I got sucked in and had to listen to all those episodes because I just couldn't help it. Um, and I have to say, I thought initially maybe there'd be a lot of repetitive stuff. There hasn't been, but even when there has been, it's still so interesting to hear JR's perspective over Bruce's perspective. Did you know that was going to be the case, or did you have a little like, oh, we've covered this topic already with Bruce, now we're doing it with JR. Um, it, will it be different enough, or did you know off the bat JR comes at it from a totally different angle? Absolutely. You know, JR had a different role. JR wasn't always involved in the creative process. You know, JR was much more involved in talent relations and, you know, signing those guys and uh, handling the announcing. And he had a different seat for all of this, you know, whereas Bruce was sitting in Gorilla, you know, with his elbow touching Vince McMahon's. Um, JR was sort of fighting for his life out there in front of all of us. You know, he's got Vince in his ear and he's calling the action. And it's a much different experience. And I wanted to be able to provide you know, multiple takes on the same thing. Because, you know, if it's a show you really love, you know, let's say it's your favorite WrestleMania, your favorite SummerSlam, you know, are you going to get tired of hearing stories about that show? No. You know, now, do I want to do them necessarily back-to-back? -back? No. That's a special occasion. Uh, but I think it's fascinating, too, to get Eric's take on some of the stuff that happened in the WWF. And so right. we tried something a few months ago where, we had Eric watch a WCW show or a WWF show, and we had Bruce watch a WCW show. And to get their take on things was fascinating to me. And I, I don't think that works for some of the smaller shows, but what a historic Nitro when Goldberg beat Hulk Hogan, and they set the record at George Dome, and they set the record for the most people watching on cable. And it was a big night, not just for wrestling, but for WCW especially. And, of course, Goldberg and Hulk Hogan. And we never really talked about that on something to wrestle. So to see what they were doing that night and give, give Bruce's two cents, I think added a new layer to the show. And, and I'm, I'm interested in doing that. So yeah, I knew going in, I would have some repeat topics, but I knew it would be from a different point of view and, and therefore, uh, worth another, another look. I also like when the, when we, when you, uh, when you sort of have a, a Bruce versus Jr. battle, uh, you know, Bruce defended and I love Bruce, but, my God, the defense of the uh, Mr. Heine, you know, Vince making fun of Jr. with the um, the colon thing or whatever it was. And, and then, you know, Jr. legitimately pissed off that Bruce would even try to defend that, I thought was compelling. Yeah, I would agree. And, and I think that's, you know, another layer uh, where we get to hear from these guys sort of in the public. And, um, you know, it's it's this weird little community of podcasts that I've created, uh, but they all have their own ecosystem, but brushing up against each other every now and again might not be the worst thing. No, not at all. Um, so, so if you could, I know you just started one with Arn Anderson as well, but if I said to you, you can start another podcast right now with any 
person you wanted. And it doesn't matter if they're with the WWE, not uh, a whoever it is, anybody. Who who do you think would be the best person to have a podcast right now that does not that you would do it with with your format that you do it with all the other guys with? Uh, well, if we're if we're thinking about you know, there's two answers to this. There's the business person answer of, hey, which one's going to get the most attention and make the most money? Right. And then there's the, which one's going to create the most compelling content? I, I, and, have, I have an answer that fits both of those, but I want to hear yours first, and then I'll tell you who I think it is. Well, for money, it's Paul Heyman. There it is. Yep. Uh, Paul Heyman has a big social media following. He's quite a character. He's lived a thousand lives in wrestling. You know, I know a lot of fans just think of him as the ECW guy, but... He was around everywhere else before that. Uh, and then, of course, you know, running ECW is uh, is going to be his claim to fame. But then there's the stuff behind the scenes with WWE for, all, you know, nearly two decades now, which is hard to believe. Uh, but you've got all the creative from WWE and then the on-screen stuff, you know, his relationships with Punk and Brock Lesnar and, you know, what a show that would be about Brock Lesnar ending the streak with Paul Heyman. Who knew and when they knew and how they knew. Uh, so that would probably be the number one. But I think you could get really, really compelling stories. And um, they would be, it would be great content to do one with Michael Hayes or, or Jeff Jarrett. Interesting. I did not. Yeah, Heyman was my answer. I think that's the guy when, whenever uh, his run in WWE wraps up and he doesn't have the restrictions. That's that's the guy. I I know he does his own, but I you know I'm a huge Cornette guy. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that's something that could ever happen since he has his own thing and his own partner. But obviously, uh, there is no filter with Jim Cornette, which makes for good podcasting. Yeah, listen, Cornette knows how to get attention. He knows how to be entertaining. I think Cornette reading the newspaper would be funny. <laughs> um, I mean, seriously, I, yeah. I listen. Every time I travel, every time I fly, I make sure I've downloaded every single drive-through that I've missed. Right. And, you know, if I, if I go a couple of weeks without having a flight, I'll, I'll sneak a couple hours here at the office just to listen to the drive-through. Yeah. And I, I like that format more so than the other because I do feel like it's sort of rapid-fire all over the place and, He's a walking encyclopedia of wrestling, and he knows how to explain any of it in an interesting manner. So even if it's something where I don't think I'm interested, oh, I don't know those guys, that was before my time, uh, that wasn't my favorite territory, whatever the case may be, Yeah, I, it doesn't matter to me. Like I, I, I want to hear what Jim Cornette has to say because I know he's going to deliver that information in an entertaining way. Absolutely. Uh, let's get to some current wrestling stuff, which you don't do a ton on those on your podcast, but obviously you follow it all and you work with guys who are knee deep in it. So I'd, I'd love you to take on some things. Let me just, before we even get to that, just to clarify, because I was under this impression a little bit and I Googled it to make sure, because I, I thought maybe you had some connection with AEW. I didn't know if you were working for them, getting a paycheck. I didn't think you were part of the broadcast team, which is what the rumors were, but you are not affiliated with AEW in any way, correct? Well, I mean, to say I'm not affiliated implies that I don't do conventions that use all of their guys. So, right, right, right. Yes, I, well, I, I have um, no financial ties to AEW. I'm good friends with Tony Khan and have been for many years, and I've become very good friends with Cody Rhodes, and I consider Jeff Jones uh, one of my very best friends, and uh, obviously Tony Schiavone and Eric Bischoff, not Eric Bischoff, but Jim Ross are the commentators for that show, and they're two of my very best friends. So, 
Yeah, I'm 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 affiliated, but I'm not employed. I don't have a an official role. I don't have an AEW email address. I don't get a 1099 or a W2 and uh, I'm the sole owner of Starcast, but I have been able to, you know, prove myself to those guys where they'll continue to make appearances at my conventions, but I'm not you know, any sort of official employee or arrangement of any sort. Got it. And it is fascinating that that you have um, that connection with AEW, and then you're doing the podcast with Bruce and Bischoff, who are both part of WWE in a, in a front office capacity. So, Well, yeah, and, and my sister-in-law is the WWE right. Women's Champion. <laughs> right, so right. it gets weirder as we continue to talk. But I'm Switzerland, and that's one of the reasons that you know, I haven't done anything official with AEW is I don't want there to be some sort of uh, conflict of interest on Bruce or Eric's side uh, where I could potentially jeopardize those podcasts. And I know that, you know, that maybe sounds silly to some folks, but, you know, those are substantial uh, enterprises, 83 Weeks LLC and, and something to wrestle LLC. And I don't want to just throw those businesses away because I want to, pursue a dream of being in wrestling so i'll just be switzerland and uh, as i'm talking to you now i'm in my my mortgage office and i'm all things to all people but i'm most of all uh conrad the mortgage guy gotcha um all right so let's talk about something current uh were you surprised at all that aew beat nxt in the ratings for the first head-to-head wednesday um aw 1.4 million viewers NXT, 891,000 viewers. Yes, I was very surprised. You know, I um, I had a conversation with uh, someone who I really, really trust in the television space, and they predicted 600,000 for AEW. Wow. And I thought that was a little low, and I thought it would be higher than that. I thought it would be 800,000. But still, you know, they nearly doubled that. And I think both of those predictions came from week one of NXT being 1.6 and week two being 1.1, but understanding they, the WWE was sort of the heritage brand. Like if you're a wrestling fan, you interchange the word wrestling and WWE. Like my mom doesn't know what mixed martial arts is, but she knows what UFC is. Mm-hmm. And when someone here in my office goes to lunch and I say, what would you like to drink? I say, I'll have a Coke. I said, oh, well, what if we have Pepsi. And I said, oh, well, I prefer Pepsi. It's just they've become such a brand that I think whenever anyone talks about professional wrestling, they think about WWE. And I just felt like they had, you know, through their social media following, which dwarfs everybody in the space, and, you know, them being able to plug it on Raw and SmackDown, I felt like WWE was going to win. I thought NXT would have a solid showing and that they would beat AEW, but it would be a dogfight and that, Maybe AEW would have a show I would enjoy more, but that ultimately more people would wind up watching NXT, and I was wrong. Yeah, I was I was surprised by that. What I found even more surprising, I'd love your take on this as well, I, this was way more surprising to me, was after the ratings came out, the WWE, who has not really been... Uh, open and thrilled, it seemed like about acknowledging AEW's presence, even though a lot of people in their you know get from WWE get asked about it. WWE actually released a statement on Thursday congratulating AEW on the ratings victory, 
And when I saw that, I was like, what is this about? It seemed very interesting. Yeah, it totally caught me off guard. I would have never predicted that. I can't say if I was in their shoes, I would have done that. I think I would have avoided that at all costs. But in hindsight, you got to think maybe some of the decisions that WWE made to compete were mistakes. You know, maybe it would have been smarter to go with Tuesday and not compete. Uh, but if you were going to compete on Wednesday, maybe it was a bad call to get a jump start. You know, I understand the strategy of, well, let's, let's get the jump on them and let's start two weeks ahead and condition people to watch them. But at the same time, I think a lot of people decided last week, well, I want to see what AEW looks like. I've heard a lot about it, but I haven't seen it. And I kind of already know what NXT looks like because I've seen it for the last two weeks. But right. to me, this week's rating is going to be much more indicative of what the future looks like than last week because I think people sort of knew what what to expect of NXT and, and AEW is more of a curiosity. Well, now, you know, that, that curiosity has been fulfilled and we know what AEW looks like. Now people really have to choose. Will they choose NXT or will they choose AEW? And tomorrow we find out. I do think, though, I, I push back a little bit only from this standpoint, and I talked about, I had Triple H on the podcast last week, and, um, you know, we, we were trying to talk about Monday Night Wars back then and, and what it is, you know, Wednesday Night Wars. But the game is so changed in terms of how people consume content with streaming and watching things after the fact. I mean, even AEW, they reran their show immediately after, like Nitro used to do in the old days. So I don't know if people have to choose one or the other. I, th- I would assume. People are consuming both if they're that into it that they're watching NXT and AEW, but maybe I'm wrong. No, I would assume that too. Yeah. But the ratings tell a different story. We we know who watched more of what last week. And so, I mean, I, I agree that if you're a big wrestling fan, you're going to record one and watch the other or record both and watch them at your leisure. I mean, whenever Raw and SmackDown are on, I don't usually watch live. I'll you know, let the first hour or in Ross case, two hours go through and then I'll play catch up and fast forward the stuff I don't like and and try to find the stuff I do like, because, you know, with that much wrestling airing right now, you can be kind of choosy and just seek out what you like. And there's something I like on almost every show. So when fans get upset and say, Oh, I hated the show. I I never have that experience because if there's something I don't like, I just, I mean, I don't sound silly. I just fast forward it. I mean, right, something right. on this show I'm going to enjoy. Uh, so, so I'll just find that. But I also do that same thing with, um, you know, with television shows. If if there is a sitcom or a drama, and and there's all these different subplots and storylines going on with the different characters, if there's a piece that I don't really like, I, I'll just I'll fast forward that and get to the stuff I like. Well, this is a good opportunity for us to sort of go back and forth and mix it up because I saw I believe you sent out a tweet saying, you know, people should just sit back and enjoy it and not complain as much. I'm summing up. Those weren't your exact words. And I was someone who was complaining um, heavily on Friday night because I loved the debut of SmackDown on Fox. I thought the production was tremendous. You could not have done more promotion than Fox. Fox could not possibly be more all-in on WWE. Um, I think The Rock is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life, so I was all pumped up for that. But I'm not a Lesnar guy. Never have been. I think it's a completely boring act. Um, I'm not into the wrestlers who can't speak. And, you know, he just does his two suplexes and we're supposed to be impressed, which I'm not. But that's just me. But 
And then they brought out a guy. I've, I've never watched UFC in my life, so I had no idea who this guy was that they brought out. And I and now Tyson Fury, who I have heard of, he's involved. I don't understand Vince's fascination with the UFC. Like, if I wanted to watch UFC, I'd watch UFC. But I'm a WWE fan. Jimmy. Go ahead. Jimmy. Go ahead. Fight back. Hit Come me. On. Go ahead. Come on. Listen, man. Let me give you an example. When I was uh, a kid, now let me fast forward. A few years ago, when Naomi won the women's belt mm-hmm. and she decided to put like all these lights on it. Right. So when she came out, the belt glue, it was like glowing. Glue, that's not a word. It was glowing. So there's like uh, uh, this neon fluorescent strip of lights all around the main plates. And I remember seeing that and thinking to myself as I'm watching it with my kid, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Who would do that to a title belt? And before I can verbalize that, my daughter says, oh, my God, Dad, that's the coolest thing ever. I want one of those. And that's when it hit me. This just wasn't for me. That's okay. Right. Because I remember as a kid, I thought the million-dollar belt was the coolest thing ever. But I'm sure in hindsight, my dad's like, Okay, so he wasn't champion, so he just made a, a series of diamond and gold dollar signs and made it his own belt. This is the corniest, cheesiest thing ever. And if I saw the million-dollar belt for the first time today, I would think, this is terrible. But as a kid, you could not convince me of that. I absolutely loved it. So oh, yeah. at that moment, I just realized, you know what? This just isn't for me. And so that segment, while you may not have been a big Brock Lesnar fan, you may not have been a big Kane Velasquez fan, that segment wasn't for you. You had the rest of the show. Right. This one segment is for casual fans. And here's how I know it worked. My dad is the most casual fan. He knows nothing about current wrestling, but he took me to matches when I was a kid. But the next day I was at his house and he said, son, was Kane, that MMA guy that beat brought, he was at the show last night. Is he in wrestling now? He didn't watch the show, but there was enough coverage of it where he was interested in it. And he came over to my house yesterday uh, when, as we're talking, it's Wednesday, it was Tuesday. And he said, somebody said that that boxer Tyson, what's his name? He was on Monday night. Wait, is he fighting in UFC? Is he fighting in WWE? When is that? And so that's when I realized, you know what? That segment wasn't for us. This is genius. It's getting someone who would not normally watch to watch. And if I'm paying $2 billion for that show, that's what I want. I want as many viewers as I can get. And, you know, that segment just wasn't for you. And I get it. Well, and also the rest of the week was great. It was also the double whammy of it. It was what they did to Kofi. And then they brought out this guy who I had never heard of or seen before in my life. And I had loved the show up until then. I I loved everything about the show up until then. Well, listen, you got to have patience. Kofi's going to be a much bigger star on the other side of this. Kofi's got to have something to overcome. You know, it can't be wins every single time. There's got to be uh, some emotion. If they're trying to tell a story, they got to bring you down. They got to bring you up. And uh, I mean, look, I, well, they I'm just, not all somebody they did was... who was upset at the end of a Sopranos episode. If it looks right. like one of my favorite characters are going to die, I got to tune in next week and see what's going to happen. And I think that's what we should be looking for this week. Well, with I, Kofi. But the difference there is because, you know, if you didn't like something in the Sopranos, like you said, you still have to tune in next week for me. I just I usually skipped the Brock Lesnar stuff. I didn't on Friday because it was the first SmackDown and I wanted to see where everything was happening. But normally I just I see Brock Lesnar and I'm out because it's just I know what it's going to be. He's going to throw someone over his head and I'm supposed to be riveted to that. But that's just me. Um, but 
that was just the start of uh, the WWE's weekend there because then they had the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view and that really pissed people off. Now do you have the same Now that one doesn't bother me as much because they pin themselves in the corner I guess with, and I don't think they realize what Bray Wyatt and the Fiend the popularity there. Do you have the same take you just gave me for the end of that pay-per-view or do you have a different opinion on it? Yeah, it's just not I mean, you know, it that segment's not for me. I'm, I'm a big fan of let's see it play out. I, uh, I'm not the world's biggest Seth Rollins fan. I've, I've been intrigued with what they're doing with the fiend, but for whatever reason, Seth Rollins is not my go-to guy. And that doesn't mean that I don't think he has great matches. I do, but I'm not going to say he has quote unquote, go away. heat like apparently Brock Lesnar has with you because I know right. Seth has great matches, Right. but I've just yet to be super emotionally invested in a Seth Rollins storyline since the shield split, right? You know, when he was sort of feuding with the uh, authority, he's with them, he's against them. None of that stuff really grabbed me. And so I think they're still trying to find a storyline that they can sink their teeth into with Seth. And maybe this is it, but I, I didn't even watch that pay-per-view live. Uh, I had family stuff going on, but my social media blew up and my text messages were blowing up after yeah. when I thought about it. So I didn't have a chance to see it until well after the fact, I just saw the end of the show last night and I understand why people were upset thinking it was a DQ, but I never thought it was a DQ. To me, it looked like a ref stoppage. It's like how much can one man take? Right. Um, you know, he's not going to let himself be pinned. He's not going to quit. So for his own good, you had to stop it. So where a lot of my friends were really upset that it was a DQ, I didn't get a DQ vibe from it at all. I mean, cause he let him hit him with all the other stuff. Why would, this one last weapon be too much to me. It was just a ref stoppage. And I understand that you may say, well, that shouldn't be the case on a pay-per-view, but to me, that whole model is different. Nobody paid $50 to watch that on pay-per-view. It was just another wrestling show on the WWE network to me. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, it will be, I will be fascinated to see the rating. We're, we're taping this Wednesday afternoon. The podcast comes out Thursday morning. The second SmackDown is Friday. I will be fascinated to see the rating on the second SmackDown because you don't have all that promotion like you did for the first episode and the blue carpet stuff. And then obviously you don't have the rock. So I'm very curious to see uh, what happens there. Well, you got to think it's coming down. I mean, you know, it was promoted so big with so many legends and, and you had, you know, the rock there. He's a force in and of himself. But I think you left enough stuff for them to come back later and have a big Stone Cold appearance and right. have a, a big Sting appearance. And, you know, there was some have a big Undertaker appearance. You've got other moments where you could, you know, promote heavily and push. But last week was more of the celebration and, and the kickoff. And now we sort of figure out where the rubber meets the road this week. And I think it'll be particularly interesting to see what the ratings look like six weeks from now. Yeah. Because you got to think coming into this, they probably have everything figured out through maybe the week after the Saudi Arabia show, but now what? So I I think, you know, once full gear is behind us and once that Saudi Arabia show is behind us and we're towards mid to late November, it's going to be an interesting time in wrestling to see how this momentum continues because so much big stuff is happening you know, in October and November. For sure, for sure. And uh, 
it's a, it's definitely a, a, a interesting. It, it, it's a great time to be a wrestling fan because there's so much content. And obviously, if you're an old school wrestling fan like me, and even new school, but especially old school, uh, check out all of Conrad's podcasts. Again, he does one with Tony Schiavone, Bruce Pritchard is the OG, um, Jim Ross, Arn Anderson, Eric Bischoff. So much great stuff. I, I really. Um, can't thank you enough for the hours of entertainment with those. Especially the, the the Bruce Pritchard is so good. The Ross is great. Uh, they're all good, but those especially really that's like my wheelhouse. So I, you know, you do a great job with those, and I thank you for coming on. And uh, I know you're busy, and uh, enjoy all the wrestling. Well, hey, I appreciate that, man. And uh, I got to get you to one of these Starcast events. Yeah, you know, I keep this is my fourth one, and I think you've yet to grace me with your presence. Well, what's the guy I got to do? To I did. Get, well, get you I did go to the. I did do. I did go to one of your shows with Bruce. I did do that. Um, and if you yeah. do a Starcast show in New York, I will be there. Okay, I will well, be I'll there. Keep that in mind. Yeah. But if you're listening and you yeah. like old school wrestling, you should come to Starcast yeah. in Baltimore. November 8th and 9th are when most of the stuff's going down. If you're a fan of AEW, it's a who's who of AEW. But if you grew up on the old stuff and you like the classic thing in the red, white, and blue or the great Mudo or maybe some of the lighter-hearted stuff like RoboCop and the <laughs> Ding Dongs and the Shockmaster, we've got something for everybody at StarCast in Baltimore this year. We'd love to have you. That sounds great. All right. Thanks, Conrad. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. All right. Take it easy. Be well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, that wraps up this episode of the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. My thanks to Mike Mulvihill of Fox Sports and Conrad Thompson of numerous podcasts. Appreciate them both coming on. Uh, be sure to check out past episodes in the archives. Triple H was on last week. Uh, recent guests, Troy Aikman, Chris Russo, Rich Eisen, Chris Fowler, all in the archives. Please rate, review, subscribe. It helps tremendously. And we'll see you next week right here on the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. Take care. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.